not since Dracula stalked the earth has the world known so terrifying a day or night. It is I who renounce you, and in the name of Satan, I place a curse upon you. Black Sunday is like no motion picture you've ever seen. There are those who believe and those who do not. But both must know the suspense, the shock of meeting the living dead and of bringing the dead to life. bring you pleasures mortals cannot know. Black Sunday, the most terrifying motion picture you'll ever see. Satan, wearing strange robes and fighting with all the furies of Hades, arouses the countryside to a frenzy of black terror. Welcome to episode 10 of the Black Sunday Tapes Classic Horror. This week we've got a rather special film. It's a <laughs> film that gave this podcast its name, gave my film festival its name. I am, of course, talking about 1960 classic Black Sunday. This is, without a doubt, as you can probably imagine, one of my favourite films of all time, one of the most influential films on me. Back to front, named the podcast channel after it, named the film festival after it. There it is. I adore this. We're going to get into this. I know this is the first time Michael's ever watched this. So, Michael, it, it was your thoughts? My what thoughts. Uh, oh, there's so, there's so many. This, I, I, I was super excited to see it. I know we've been waiting for a while to do it. I know it influenced uh, you to the degree that's influenced you, even though we haven't had the discussion about it yet. And I was like, cool, I get to watch this movie now. And I have a toothache where it feels like my tooth is trying to explode out of my face. And I only made it about half an hour into this picture. And I had to tap out. I had to tap. I couldn't do it. And but in, in in that half an hour, I was like, oh my god, I can't. Like I took the note. I can't wait to watch this while not in pain. Like, <laughs> and and so it continued the next day. But I, I'm I'm like, and so I'm drinking a little, trying to get rid of that pain. And and I watch it again. Incredible. Like everything that I saw in that first half hour, like continues throughout the film. The level of uh, filmmaking on display the the fluid master shots that he pulls off the the set dressing the fact that it's his first film so yeah. you, t- you touch on a director there mario barber are you aware of any of mario's other work are you have you seen any italian horror cinema from from this era the 60s and then more prominently into the 70s so it's Italian horror is probably my biggest blind spot when it comes to a lot of 
okay. cinema, actually. But um, I have seen the Mother of Tears trilogy. And okay. then a buddy of mine brought me to a, an all-day marathon of Giallo's right before, well, like in January of this year. Okay. So, you know, when, when we could still do those things. Yeah. Um, and I saw Opera, which was incredible. I can't, oh, I need to see that again. Yeah. Anyway, so my, my grand total knowledge is like eight films. Okay. Well, I mean, this is a great, yeah, I mean, you've got the seven or, or so before this, but, you know, I would, whenever someone says to me, what's the jumping off point for Italian horror cinema, I always say Black Sunday. And oddly enough, that it, based in history, this is pretty much the jumping off point. It's the third, I, I believe it was the third Italian horror film made of the talkie era as it was labeled in America. So even though this was yeah. 1960, yeah. films were, you know, horror was banned in Italy for a long time, and it started to make Did its comeback. Beauty was considered a horror film when it came out there? Or Snow White? Was it Snow White? I think One it was Snow two, White, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah Snow, Snow White, White was yeah. considered a horror film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because of the um the more scary elements in it. Yeah, so they completely banned. The witchcraft and whatnot, yeah. There you go, yeah. So they completely banned. And, you know, you got to remember a part of that is... Italy is a very, very religious place. You know, like the Catholic Church has <laughs> a whole hold over that country. So anything witchcraft especially is very, very frowned upon. You know, however, come the late 50s, early 60s, that it started making a comeback. Black Sunday was the first major release in that. Director Mario Bava was a huge pioneering that he even though this is considered his first film as a director he actually did the the other two horror films that preceded this within the talkie era in italian cinema he actually directed on both of them but he co-directed and i'm not sure he's actually credited with them because he was actually a very very talented cinematographer and essentially then two previous pictures where he was acting as a cinematographer the directors uh either walked off or got fired and he had to finish the picture so he did direct a bunch of that and then it was off the back of that and off the back of the somewhat success of those films that he got offered his own feature and he was asked what film do you you know do you want to make is there a film you want to make is there a story you want to tell he picked a book that he were to tell or I, I think it might be a short story and yeah that resulted in uh, Black Sunday, or as some may know it, The Mask of Satan. I believe the European release was called uh, Mask of Satan, and Black Sunday is the UK and US release of that. Oddly enough, a little side note that you'll be interested in, my Blu-ray of this actually has both versions. So I have the Black Sunday American cut, original American cut of this, that okay. was heavily edited and completely rescored with more of a generic american horror score and then it also has the european mask of satan version which is the uncut which is now the widely available version anyway you know before countries opened it up to not being banned because this was banned in the uk until 20 years ago i think something like that so fairly recently yeah yes. insane absolutely insane and then in america it was the only version you could get for a very long time was the heavily edited version the uncut version is now the the, the version you'll get everywhere but yeah, it's it's interesting to and another interesting point on that I'll to touch on is even though it was heavily edited in America, it was still a huge success. But not only was it a huge success, the heavily edited version was still considered too graphic. Which <laughs> yeah. which is absolutely amazing. But obviously, you know, you've watched the up to date version, you've watched a very 
graphic version, yes. which <laughs> even today in a 2020 standards, right? It's, it's pretty bloody graphic. It's so gnarly. yeah, man, it's touch on. Yeah, that's, touch that, on that, that's, dude. That's high praise How did for that me. hit you? We don't need to get into it, but uh, I'm a colorblind individual, and I'm red colorblind specifically. So black and white cinema is very important to me. And the I I not, I was a not expecting the level of gore because of the time period in which the film was made, and B was certainly not expecting to be like, oh Jesus, there's blood coming out of every orifice, and then they've just made more orifices. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the the opening of this film, especially right? oh. like the oh, opening of this time? film from the get go, when the the main character played by the absolutely amazing Barbara still is tied to the tree. And she is then branded, which yes, that's the first. That's the first thing that happens. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is crazy. So that was actually one of the first major cuts that was made. They cut the that scene was still there, but they cut the branding. Uh, okay. They they didn't show the branding, and then the even more graphic is where the mask of Satan is now to her face in a very graphic way, and then you see all the blood pour out of it. So again, they... I mean, it's not the what I, centipede too graphic, but it's pretty graphic. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And from what I understand, the they kept the mask going on her face, but what they cut was all the blood coming out afterwards. So that was yeah. quite interesting. They thought the, the mask being nailed to her face was okay, but seeing blood pour out afterwards wasn't. You can fire a gajillion guns in a PG-13 movie, but you can't see a bloody bullet, bullet hit. Yeah. And yeah, you know you have one bloody bullet hit. No, nope. oh no, nope. now you're an R. Yeah, absolutely insane. So yeah. I just touched on uh, Barbara Steele a minute ago. So what did you think of the cast of this? What well, I'm always interested to get your thoughts on. You know, when we go back and watch a lot of these classic horror films, especially the ones you haven't seen, what do you think of the cast? I mean, Barbara Steele for me is one of the all-time great screen queens, and I say that lightly because she hated the term screen queen and she hated being known as a screen queen despite oh, really? you know that's where she made her name after this and got a lot of opportunities and, and done incredibly well i mean we'll go through our back catalog in a minute but yeah what what did you think of the cast who stood out to you well you already said you know barbara Steele. like it's you can't talk about this film and not talk about her but um since we will be talking about her at length uh i, I the uh, the character the father who sidebar was 36 when they filmed this yeah yeah i he like i i i when i found that out i'm like that guy that guy's like that guy's five seconds older than me that guy yeah like, crazy right <laughs> like but i appreciated so, uh, like a lot of his performances just even even when it approached being over over the top like i giggled every single time i watched it and he was uh what was it uh they cannot win against a symbol of Christ. It's just the, his <laughs> yeah. delivery. I just laughed every time. But like, I've also, as someone who was raised in a, in the church, as as they say, I have seen that level of fervor gotten yeah. to very quickly by people in that fashion. So it was. It also. I was like, yeah. And uh, like later on, he he's being menaced, and just the look on his face as it goes from kind of like i'm gonna get angry and it's gonna and you're gonna go away and nope 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 and as yeah. he just shrinks into the bed i was taken by a lot of his non-verbal performance but also the whoever was voicing him over at the time <laughs> but i appreciated the delivery yeah. that's one of the interesting facts about a lot of these italian early horror films but also this carried on through all of italian cinema especially 
Italian cinema that was funded by Americans. I mean, you see this probably most famously in the Sergio Leone, Clint Eastwood spaghetti trilogy, mm-hmm. where you have essentially your American star, your English speaking star, but everyone around him is essentially Italian. You know, like in the spaghetti trilogy, you've got other people that speak English, but you've got a lot of people in them films that just spoke Italian. It's very much the same case with this. You know, when they made this film, the guy on the commentary, I believe, said that the film was actually the dialogue was naturally recorded in English, but it was just people didn't like the the performances were considered yeah. so not acceptable that they redubbed the whole film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's I always find it really interesting because you're whatever version you watch, you're kind of getting one side of it. So, like, if you watch the English language version, you're getting Barbara Steele and her perform like full on her performance. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a strange mix okay. of whose voice you're hearing. And uh... well, I don't, I don't know what audio track I actually got then, because like, so the K- K- Kino Lorber has both versions, but they're like available separately. And okay. I picked up, yeah. I, I, I picked up the one that's that's supposed to be the uncut. Is it called Black Sunday or Mask of Satan? Well, it says Black Sunday on it, but you know, like the film when it come, when the film starts, the title card reads Mask of Satan. Oh, okay, yeah. So you got Mask of Satan, yeah. So that was the, that should be the European version. This newly remastered okay. HD edition is the original Italian cut of the film. Yeah, yeah. Complete yeah. with Roberto Nick's expressive score, yeah. which I score, loved. Yeah, yeah. yeah I that score is incredible. Score. That score is incredible. It, it, it fit the tone perfectly. Like it set the tone. It, no man. Like I just, it was. It just fit everything. Whenever it swelled, it swelled perfectly. Whenever it was barely there, it was still effective. What do yeah. you? What do no, you? No, I get that, man. Yeah, I get that. I, to be honest with you, like the score on the Mask of Satan European version is great. Like that, that's the original one, and you know that stands up definitely. And despite it being a little bit more generic on the re-edited, redubbed version. That was the original US release. That is the score of that is a composer called Les Baxter, I believe. And I don't hate that either, man. That kind of works for me. Like I I think I think the first time I saw it was that version. So the American version? Yeah, yeah, the American version, yeah. So I think I've got like maybe a little bit of nostalgia towards that version. But I do prefer the European version. But the yeah, that that score, man. Like they both work. I think they both work, and they both, like even the edited version of the film still works. It still holds up. It's mm-hmm. it's quite interesting. That, or but you know because I've seen both versions a couple of times. Sometimes it's they kind of just blur into one. You okay. Really, do you know what I mean? Like you kind of even when you're watching the cut version because you've already because you have seen the stuff that they cut out on other versions. Yeah, it's very interesting, man. It's, it's, they kind of, it just works where I think that really, really speaks to how good this film is, is despite it being chopped up for that original American release. Doesn't, it doesn't hinder the quality of the film, like, at all. It's still an outstanding film. Really, yeah. really holds up. And I think one of the reasons the effects hold up like they do is, you know, because they were real things, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, man. The, oh, my God, the tiny scorpions. The tiny scorpions. Oh, yes. I am not yeah. okay with any size of any scorpion, <laughs> and those I did not appreciate. <laughs> yeah, they were crazy, man. Like the yeah, the effects in this, the 
the use of the scorpions in the uh, coffin scene you're referring to. Yeah. Outstanding. Like they just knew how to creep people out. There's an effect so good. I didn't realize it was an effect until I found out that information on the commentary. Oh, interesting. Uh, that? The um, when a character walks through a door and a and, and and a hanging corpse drops in front of them. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I yeah. Uh, I was like, wow, that's cool. Right on. What well, what well played? I wonder how they filmed that with that guy. That wasn't a guy. That was a that was a wax headed dummy. Yeah. yeah. And that wax head was so impressive. And like, yeah. I, if you stare at it, maybe you can kind of tell. But like, that was kind of the point too, you know? Like, it was only on no, it was screen. Insane, for a second. It was so yeah. good. Like, all the effects are great. The, do you know, top to bottom, the technical department on oh, this it's film insane. Are, are insane. I mean, the the one I would like definitely touch on out the gate is the set design. The and lighting. The, and, oh, the set design. Okay. Oh, the set design and the and the building. I mean, the yeah. lighting's great and the cinematography is great. Like, that's outstanding. But that's kind of. While it's amazing, it you kind of expect it for these films because when you when you go back and watch some of these classic horror films, that's kind of the thing they all get right. They all get the lighting right. They all, they all get the camera right. It's the but thing that, that they don't said, get that like, anyone else. There was there there was some lighting I felt was almost kind of like a cheap haunted house, but then there was other times where I felt the lighting like a, a screen grab belonged in the Louvre. You know what I mean? For me, that was the that was the set design, like the set design. And the the stages that were built for this were just absolutely yeah. incredible. Oh yeah, no, just the, the 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 massiveness of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Like the you know from the tomb to the mansion. That to slow three sixty around that tomb is just oh, I love it. I loved it so much. And the and same with when she's playing the piano and then homie's yes. cleaning his gun yeah. and then. Dude sitting in front of the awesome dragons. Oh, what a, like what a great camera. I mean, come and, on. You know, and, and Mario Bava was renowned for those type of camera moves. And he was he, his own director of photography, right? Yeah, so, yeah, right, yeah. You know. He well, like I said, that's how he made his name. Like he was a director of photography. He was a very, very, very good photographer. So, yeah, he he was he just got the opportunity to direct and can make that jump. But yeah, he still maintained shooting on this film. And yeah, my God, does it look? Does it look good for it? Like, like you said, those sweeping tracking shots, absolutely outstanding, absolute, absolutely beautiful. They, they really, really are. So, I just want to bring it back around to uh, Barbara Still, because mm. I feel like she definitely, you know, ne- needs to be spoke about because this was quite a hard film for her to make. As I touched on, she didn't speak uh, any Italian or very, very little Italian when they were making this. Mario Barber from what I understand, didn't speak any English or again, very, very little English. So it was actually quite a tough relationship between them when they were working. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite well documented of how hard it was for them to get along. But man, her performance and, and, you know, she's playing two roles in this film and mm-hmm. they're completely separate. They're completely individual roles. Like they work, you completely buy into two separate characters, two completely different characters. But there is that really nice haunting through line that obviously plays into the story with them being related but mm-hmm. yeah man, i Absolutely, mean yeah. what really stood out with her performance for you just well I, and again because of because of special effects you know she, she can give two performances and which allows you to see the dichotomy in the two performances right there i mean for a large chunk of the film most of her acting is all in her face because her body is frozen 
just the fact that she's able to communicate everything that she can communicate that way is because the story is next level bonkers and her ability to play both the villain and ingenue is that the am i using that properly <laughs> you know yeah, like no, like it really the, was man she's incredible the, the innocent waif character yeah yeah i thought she i kind of feel like she doesn't get enough credit for the difference in the role she played like when she's playing the the witch the vampire character you know d- depending on how you want to take it that is a really pronounced role it's a very like you kind of feel the weight behind that you kind of feel the age behind that she the the character feels a lot older than what barbara still was at the time you you feel like this witch has been around for a very very long time but then when she's playing the princess there is real innocence to it there's real yeah like, there's a real just, naivety to it yeah you really child, believe child, like, that she's this young princess that's gonna be taken advantage of by you know by this evil witch and and what's really interesting about it is again i know we we bring up it a lot on this podcast but when you're looking at the way females female characters are dealt with in classic horror compared to modern horror you know and, and sometimes they still don't get it right in modern horror but when you look at it like this it's a very very interesting film because barbara still gets to play the victim but also the perpetrator yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. It's this. It is inarguably her film, and so just that in and of itself is, yes. you know, like like. No man, she she's outstanding, and so Barbara still before Black Sunday had done a couple of roles. Nothing of of note from you know most of the stuff when you look at what she's done actually was cut or uncredited. Black Sunday is definitely her first major breakout role, but then she went on to have a lot of like huge success within the horror genre like i said from what i understand she didn't like being known as the screen queen though you know she definitely fell into that lead actress you know within the horror genre you know most notably after black sunday she done pit and the pendulum which is another classic horror film i want to cover on yeah, we absolutely podcast. have to touch that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. We're, I, we're definitely going to do that. I own that. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to do that at some point. Um, she was in the Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV series. Yeah. She had done a few other films throughout the 60s. But then, like, you know, she kept working until the 70s. And most notably, which a lot of people will know, is the film uh, Shivers from mid-1970s, I believe. She, yeah, she was in that as well. Yes. Yeah, the Cronenberg film. She's in that as well. So, you know, she really kept going. She really kept going, man. I mean, she's still going now. She's she's still doing uh, voice work this year. I think she's got voice work credit. So, yeah, I mean, she's still going, man. And and she's absolutely incredible. I love Barbara still. I think she's incredible in this film. Everything I've ever seen her in, I think she's absolutely amazing. And, yeah, I would definitely recommend anyone listening to go and sort out any Barbara still films. Like I said, we're going to cover... A couple of the other ones on this podcast at some point are definitely ones I want to touch on. But yeah, I just wait to get it out of there. I just wait to throw it out there. But yeah, man, absolutely love that. So yeah, dude, let's bring it back around to cinematography because oh obviously God. you're a huge cinematography fan. I'm a massive cinematography fan. This film basically exists because Mario Bava is an amazing cinematographer. We've already touched on the sweeping shots, but more so than that, what really works for you? What really brings this film together with regard to cinematography? The way that he he'll paint with light there's the 
way that he dances the camera, like literally when, uh, I mean, we've, we've already touched upon the crypt, but when it, the camera comes into the, the pub and kind of pans to see a bunch of people dancing and then starts to dance with a few of them before drifting off from the dancers to the doctor and his, uh, you know, young protege at the, at, at the table. I just, I watched it four times in a week instead of using my time otherwise. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Really works. I mean, there's not too much more you can say about how Mario Barber uses that camera because he was just legendary for it, like absolutely legendary for the way he would move the camera about. And, you know, he he done it before Black Sunday, but he also carried on throughout his films. I believe he is the cinematographer on nearly all of these films. I think like even the ones that he doesn't get the credit for, you know, if that goes to someone else, from what I understand, it, it was basically shot by him and he, you know, he always, he always took over. I mean, what a great, I mean, come on. Yeah. When, when you're that when good, you're right? that talented. Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. How are you going to, how are you going to do that guy's job? But yeah, man, like just an outstanding cinematographer really. And if you, you know, to kind of like close up the cinematography, aspect of if you really like the work he done on black sunday and you know for those of you out there that might not have seen other work that he's done i would say that a few of them that really stands out is the evil eye blood and black lace is another one that's really and these are just films that he directed as well so in terms of just really really great italian classic horror yeah i would say the evil eye blood and black lace and then probably most famously is a bay of blood which okay. was kind of that <laughs> yeah bay of blood is 1971 i believe that's again for me that's when we start pushing into modern horror but it's definitely one that i think we might have to cover on this podcast because it is that it's a real bridging of the gap between what he done with what i consider classic horror bridging into what would become modern horror you know mid 70s into the 80s but yeah like go and check out his back catalog the guy has done it's gonna happen (laughs) i mean jesus the guy's done a ton of films like he is he just didn't stop working (laughs) basically you know he just man he would make two or three films a year sometimes like he'd be involved in two or three films a year absolutely incredible really really was there's there's so many little things but but the effects we're just like next level, like the use of makeup and light. Like this movie could not have been shot in color as much as they, at the proverbial, they wanted him to do it because so there's an effect in the film where a character is uh, having the life drained from them. And the effect was achieved uh, with light and, and makeup and could not have been achieved if they had filmed in color because it used colored light and colored and specifically colored makeup to bring it in and out of focus when you dig back in classic horror even like hollywood classic horror that's a well-known special effects technique is using especially when you're shooting in black and white you can use color makeup and then filters that go on the camera to achieve incredible looks there's a very very famous one from I believe it's the silent film era for the life of me. I can't remember what the film was called, but it's essentially where this young woman 
is a witch, but she is presented as the classical, beautiful woman, not the also classical old hag, as it were. You know, she's mm-hmm. presented in this beautiful state where she can mix in with this family and trick them, essentially. And within this shot, no, the camera doesn't cut. There's no edits. There's no, there's no break. The camera doesn't move away. Within the shot, this beautiful actress turns into this hideous old witch and you're like how the hell does that happen but basically how it happens is the hideous witch makeup was done in a certain color that when you put a certain filter on the camera it can't pick up that color so then essentially you film you don't see the makeup you're just seeing the actress as she is but then as you flick that filter off or slowly peel that filter back now you see the makeup so it's completely done in camera and it's it's breathtaking it's absolutely yeah. breathtaking it really it really really is but yeah they they use certain technique like that in black sunday but they they used every technique ac- across the ball man i mean the technique of where the 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 old witch in this film they discover a body and she's as you can imagine basically just a skeleton at this point and through the course of a drop of blood she starts to rejuvenate and you you essentially see most of that within camera and it's amazing you know there's no visual effects there there was nothing like that back then this was all done with stop motion animation i believe is in there just absolute genius on the part of and it was achieved through use of of lights and eggs at one point like when her when her eyes are coming back, like those were, that was a couple of eggs, and yep. then they uh, an, an extra bit of light to make the the in quote pupils, if you will, appear. Like it was just, yeah, yeah just it was, everything it was they did. This was just, and 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 like the gross, like whatever was going on inside the eye socket at one point, like it was literally jelly and rice. Just the sound effects of the jelly and the rice and the way it's moving, it was just gross. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. It's but the. The uh, like I said, the technical aspects of this film, like absolute next, next level. Up. And to bring that right back around <laughs> to cinematography, actually, the we keep saying about the the black and whiteness and the monochrome look and how amazing that is, and it's absolutely outstanding. It really is. It's some of, if not the best, monochrome work ever done. So Mario Barber was a huge, huge advocate of black and white he you know th- th- this is 1960 color has existed for a while and you know he would go on to later shooting color and my god would he shoot in color i mean you know he become one of the pioneers of those italian color palettes you know where, where really bright colors mm-hmm. but he loved black and white he he's bread and butter was black and white so much so that the sets for this film were actually built and designed with that in mind so the sets that were constructed had no color in them whatsoever they were completely built to work as best as possible on black and white film i just thought that so was... like the set was black and white like that's that's ridiculous but yeah essentially yeah like everything was black and white there's a there's actually a famous quote from barbara still where she says it's essentially the most black and white film she's ever been a part of because <laughs> not only what you see on screen is black and white, but the sets were black and white, and everyone that turned up to work was just wearing black. There, there was no color <laughs> evident on this film whatsoever. Yeah, but it was—I mean, man, like 
that's just a director that knows what he wants, knows where he's going. You know, like he, he knows that as early as possible. And that's quite part and parcel today. You will work with every department to get that right. But for him, you know, back in the 60s, man, that was really important. So, like I said, real, real pioneer of cinema. Really, really is. And, and again, just, you know, go and sort out his back catalogue because the guy's done some incredible work. He really, really, really has. He's one of those directors that once you get into him, you start seeing a lot of people that talk about him. But for the most part, he's not a name that comes up too often that he should be. He really, really should be. did influence a ton of people. I know that if I'm not mistaken, I think Mario Barber is Tim Burton's favorite filmmaker. I know he's a huge fan of Black Sunday and is, you know, there's a couple of interviews with Tim Burton I out there where his name drops. Saying this is his favorite. Yeah. 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 And uh, Richard Donner is, uh, the you know, the guy behind uh, Superman, the the original Superman films in The Omen. He's a huge mm-hmm. fan of Mario Bava and, and of Black Sunday. And I believe that in The Omen for the cemetery scene, he completely designed that based on the graveyard look within black sunday so like mario barra has just influenced filmmakers from every generation and you know you can still see that now you you can see it in dono's work you can definitely see it in tim burton's work i mean oh yeah i'm not sure there is a tim burton without mario barra so yeah again guys just you know go and check him out he's if you can't tell with me completely gushing over him he is definitely one of my uh favorite filmmakers out there Especially, well, what, you know, one of my favorites. When was the first time you saw it? Like, what was like, what impacted you so much about it? Why does it mean so much to you, man? What uh, Black Sunday in general? Yeah. Like, I... what made you decide to name your 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 film so festival it, and this chapter? It hit me at a time when I was looking for something to hit me. When I was in college, I was doing filmmaking. I was doing photography, but I, you know, I. I I liked college, but I wasn't in love with it. I kind of just wanted to get out there and kind of make my own stuff and kind of learn how to do that. But I weren't really sure kind of where I wanted to go with it. I didn't know what my style of filmmaking would be. Like the one thing I knew is that against everyone else that I went to college with, I was very, very much into classic cinema. Like my favorite film of all time is Casablanca. So, and it has been for, it has been for as long as I can remember. It's, for me it is the most perfect film ever made it's the greatest screenplay ever wrote it's 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 just incredible so for me like classic film has always been but i've always been a huge huge horror fan but i didn't start getting into classic horror until i was in college and there was a few films i saw that you know had a massive impression on me mainly frankenstein and the bride of frankenstein but then I started going down like a European rabbit hole, just in general, like a European rabbit hole of cinema, new, old, whatever it was. And Black Sunday just done everything I love. It's horror. It's classic cinema. It's classic filmmaking. It's those gorgeous, beautiful sets, gorgeous cinematography, actors or, or stars that are larger than life that, you really buy a stars. It does stuff that even when, you know, I saw it however many years ago now, just like you watching it in 2020, it still stands up. There's still stuff that shocks you. There's still stuff that you go, how did they do that? And to me, that's incredible, right? Because we now live in a world where you can put into YouTube how you do anything Mm -hmm. and it will tell you. Yeah, 
you watch an Ital- like a low budget Italian film from the 1960s and you're going, how the hell did they do that? Like there's just <laughs> so much in this film that spoke to me as a filmmaker, but probably more so than that spoke to me as a film fan. And that's why I think in terms of naming my film festival after it and then naming the podcast channel after it is because though I do put stuff into the festival and especially into this podcast from a filmmaking point of view, the film festival and the podcast were always meant to be me as a film fan. And there's Mm. no classic horror film really that sums up me being a film fan and especially a classic horror fan and black Sunday. So it was just, it was, you know, it just really spoke to me. And again, it was just something that everyone knows the eighties horror films. Everyone knows the 90s horror films. You know, everyone knows the Universal Monsters films. But there's this time frame of classic horror from, you know, probably like the late 40s to the back end of the 60s, early 70s that kind of gets lost a little bit. So, again, for me, it was name the film festival Black Sunday. See where that goes, you know, get some discussions going on that. Name the podcast that. Do a classic horror podcast. And I think that's why, again, like we joke about it every week and say, why do you know? Why do we keep doing these films from the nineteen sixties? And even though every time I suggest a film to you, I'm not suggesting it from the point of view of, oh, I want to tackle everything from the nineteen sixties. But I feel like it's the era people have seen. Like you've, like everyone's heard of these films, but it's right. the era that, for whatever reason, it's just not on TV as much. It's just not re-released in the cinema as much. So just not that many people have seen it these days. You know. So yeah, right. like hugely, hugely long answer, but yeah, I hope that answers your question. No, it's, there you go. But, but yeah, oh, dude. Man. So yeah, coming out the back of that, man, and uh, that was good. That was a good deep dive. I actually like that. I like kind of going back and trying to understand why stuff influences me so much. So yeah, that was really cool, man. Thank you for that. I, I actually really enjoyed that myself. I know we've said a few times, like, oh, we'll probably touch on this again. Like, I think whenever we decide to finally go back and touch things, we have to touch on this again first. Cause oh, I think this will be the first like, one. It's, it's yeah. all been kind of raw. Like, man, there's, there's a lot I didn't talk about that. I took notes about, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. Yeah. I think there's a hell of a so lot good. that you, you so can unpack. Yeah. And I think that like we've seen with our other episodes, what, what I'm really enjoying is when a lot of you guys out there that are listening, reach out to us and tell us what you think and, and not just at the podcast, but what you think of these films. So I think definitely when we do these episodes where we revisit films we've already talked about, we'll be bringing a lot of that back into it. You know, we'll be bringing a lot of your opinions back into it and a lot of your views back into it. But yeah, I, I completely agree, dude. I think when we start, you know, revisiting stuff, whenever that's going to be black Sundays, the, it's the first one. It's the first yeah, one on, yeah. on, on the shopping block, man. Without a doubt. All right, dude, so to kind of close this one out, is there any trivia that you found really interesting that, that we haven't touched on yet? Well, okay, two things, both relating to Barbara Steele. One of them is, is, is a makeup thing. To achieve a look of her being more pale, you think, oh, it's black and white. Just throw some, I don't know, more white on her. No, they used light blue because it made her appear the most pale. I wouldn't have thought of that, but I'm glad Very somebody true. figured that out. <laughs> and again, something that's only so, achievable uh, with black and white film. So, yeah, like really, really interesting. Then I love bits of trivia like that because it just shows you the techniques that can be used and why decisions were made to shoot this in black and white. You know, and like you touch on, they did want this shot in color. Oh, did they ever? Yeah. But, but, you know, Barbara put his foot down and said, nope, we're we're doing monochrome. And, you know, between and uh, touching on Barbara and Steele both, uh, you know, and their contentious relationship. 
found it quite interesting that at one point Steel just didn't show up one day and you know people like, unprofessional how could someone had convinced her that Baba had created a film stock that made clothed individuals appear to be naked <laughs> like it's yeah. So, uh, I don't know, let that be the most lighthearted of the behind the scenes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like you touched on, man, they they did have a very unusual relationship. And what's most fascinating about it is they somehow made it work because it launched both their careers. Like, without this film and without that collaboration, we don't have Mario Barber being the director he turned out to be. We don't have Barber still turning up in all them films I mentioned. So... Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it, how you can have that really odd relationship that doesn't appear to be working, yet you strike gold, everyone wins, right? There it is. Yeah, absolutely and, incredible. Uh, I guess the last bit of trivia I'll, I'll throw on is it, it isn't even really trivia, it's just more of an observation on my part. You know, you, you talk about influence. I, I, I find it hard to believe that uh, Peter Jackson wouldn't be a large fan of this film because there's a scene where... Uh, uh, the was it Prince Yabudich is driving a carriage containing, yes. I believe, the doctor at the time. Yes, and it's it's like a slow motion through a foggy wood, and there was there's there was one shot where the carriage is coming at camera, and I just my I do you remember do you recall in the Fellowship of the Ring when the ring wraiths are coming after the hobbits? Oh yes, yes. Like it just it it just rang as inspired by in my brain, but I've seen Fellowship enough times that like I'm I made that connection immediately. So. Yeah, I think we're uh, I think we're ended there. That was our first deep dive into Black Sunday, there and that's our first deep dive because we're definitely definitely going to revisit this. But yeah, we had to touch on it. Episode ten, I can't believe we've made it here. Ten weeks, ten straight weeks. I mean, I mean wow, so. right? <laughs> Unbelievable. It's the most consistent thing I've done other than hold down a job in a long time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, man. Yeah, dude, thank you so much for joining me on this. I know, like, I pitched this to you a long time ago. And, yeah, it's been incredibly enjoyable for me getting you to watch these films and talk about these. And, yeah, for everyone out there, thank you so much for tuning in every week. You guys are amazing. I, I can't wait to see where this goes in the, in the next 10 episodes. We've got, we've got a little something special coming up for October gonna be a good one you're gonna look forward to that i guarantee it yeah all right guys until next week stay safe around take care everybody bye